and welcome to another episode of Doc Talk here, the official podcast of the King County Medical Society. Joined today by one of our more active members who has taken a very strong role in advocating a number of issues that benefit all of us, Dr. Amish Dave from Virginia Mason. Now, you are, uh, by practice, a rheumatologist. And for those who, who don't know what you actually do as a rheumatologist, what does that encompass? Rheumatology is a field that's a subspecialty of internal medicine. So rheumatologists have done their internal medicine residency and then a further two to three years of fellowship training in rheumatology, which is the field of medicine that focuses on autoimmune diseases as well as musculoskeletal disease and osteoarthritis as well. So rheumatologists see over 400 different diseases, um, Mm. many very common musculoskeletal or sports-related injuries, but then a lot more rare diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, vasculitis, which is inflammation of blood vessels, and then even more rare diseases like polymyositis and inflammation of the muscles and systemic sclerosis, also called scleroderma. And a lot of those, one of the things I find so fascinating about your specialty is it isn't clear cut. I mean, if you have tumors in you know, your breast cancer, you can see the tumors, boom, they're there. You at least know what to do and what you're dealing with. You have to do a lot of detective work and a lot of uh, sleuthing, if you will, to figure out what it is you're actually dealing with a lot of times. That's absolutely right. So rheumatologists, we like to think of ourselves as Dr. House or Dr. Houses um, in the sense that we might see patients who've had years of unexplained fevers, chills, muscle pain, or bone pain. And then we're trying to decide, is this a real autoimmune condition, something that's systemically affecting them? Or is it explained by other types of causes? So we have to we 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 have to think about the person holistically. Do you find that your colleagues, uh, primary care physicians, do they know what you do? Do they know to some or do you find sometimes there's a, a lack of understanding about the nuance of rheumatology? Yes and no. Um, I would say that compared to other places that I've been, for example, Chicago or the San Francisco Bay Area or Boston, where there were more rheumatologists and much more rheumatological education for the primary care doctors. Um, there was often more of a sense of what we do and what we don't see. Um, Here in Washington State, where there's a shortage of doctors in general, but especially a shortage of rheumatologists, um, often there's less of an understanding of what we do. Well, and let's talk about that, because that's really, you and I have been talking quite a bit over the last few weeks, and you presented me with some very troubling statistics um, and just the, the state of the union, if you were, about your field, and that is that there is just simply... Uh, uh, far fewer rheumatologists than we need. Yeah, and so we know generally that the United States has a very rapidly growing population. So we're the third fastest projected population growth in the world at 16.5% by 2030. This is according to 2015 data. Um, And we know that in general there's not enough doctors, and there's been a lot of a focus on the lack of primary care doctors. What I'm here to talk about today is there's a huge lack of specialty physicians in Washington State and in the West in general, um, including rheumatology. Well, given that, I, and we're not just talking a shortage, oh, in a few years, you know, you always hear like like Boeing, one of these days we're not going to have enough mechanics and all of that, but we're number 50 out of 50 states And that's not a good thing. Exactly. So every 10 years, similar to what the U.S. does with its census, the American College of Rheumatology and the American Rheumatology Healthcare Professionals 
organizations do a workforce study in the United States to get a sense of what the distribution or rather the maldistribution of adult rheumatologists looks like. According to the 2015 survey where they looked at various different regions in the country and they found that the West uh, region, including Washington State, Oregon, Alaska, Idaho, and Montana, and Wyoming, had the worst number of rheumatologists in the country. Or the least number. Or, or the least number of rheumatologists, exactly. And you said 50, we're 50th out of 50. We're, we're, we can't even beat Alabama. And, and no offense to the any any Alabamians over there. I we I know you have a colleague over at University of Washington, uh, UW Medicine, who is from Alabama. So I don't want to denigrate, but but I mean seriously, we are so short-handed for rheumatologists, number fifty in the nation. I just find that amazing, given the 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 quality of care you can get in in oncology, for example, here. Yeah, that's exactly true. So, for example, the situ the situation right now is that we don't have any full-time practicing rheumatologists in the entire Olympic Peninsula. And in many parts of the state, having done this research with one of our Virginia Mason residents, Mariah Moore, we actually called every single practice in Washington state to ask them what insurance they take or don't take, and then what number of rheumatologists they have and how many days they're practicing. And we found in general that um, the, the wait times in particular was the most troubling. Many places had wait times of up to one year in Washington state just to be seen for the first time. That's insane. If I'm a primary care physician and I have a patient who needs your care and I, okay, go see, go find a rheumatologist, go look in your insurance book or online. And then you're told, oh, I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait 12 months. I and mean, what happens to the patients? I got to, I have to believe that their condition only continues to progress, get worse. It, that just seems so inherently wrong to me. And, and that's exactly why I'm here. I think that there is a huge concern um, amongst rheumatologists, and in particular the Washington Rheumatology Alliance has been very concerned about this for many years and advocating for changes that allow us to create more rheumatologists. I want to talk a little bit more about that situation. So we're in this situation in which patients are often driving up to... You know, I have patients who are driving 11 or 12 hours from Boise or Missoula just to be seen in Seattle. But then, as you mentioned, a lot of patients might not know where the rheumatologists are even based, or because of their insurance networks or their plans, they might not be able to go out of a certain range. And so I do have patients who live in the Tri-Cities or Spokane who are waiting months and months and months to be seen, often with excruciating joint pain and inflammation that really affects their quality of life. I've had patients come to me actually in tears saying that they've wanted to commit suicide or they've been so depressed for six to seven months. And what that does to someone's psyche, even if you control their inflammation in the end, going through six months of extreme agony with three hours of sleep every night, it really destroys families and it destroys people's lives. So what is, uh, what's the solution? I mean, obviously we're not going to suddenly say, okay, we're going to create 2,500 new rheumatologists. Um, where do you even begin to chip away at this shortage? So I think there's a couple of steps. One is recognizing that nothing's going to get better anytime soon. So according to the ACR ARHP 2015 workforce study, the situation in the West is going to get worse. In the next 10 years, 50% of adult rheumatologists are expected to retire. This is from asking mm. the rheumatologists. And we will have the worst distribution in the country by 2025. So nationally, by 2025, there will be one rheumatologist for every 100,000 people. Um, in the West, including Washington State, there will be one rheumatologist for every 200,000 people. So we're looking at pretty crisis levels. 
Now, rheumatoid arthritis, which is one of our most common diseases, affects one to two people um, out of 100 uh, in the country. And so even if there was just one rheumatologist to 200,000 people, if you kind of like take those numbers down, that means it'll be one rheumatologist to 2,000 patients with rheumatoid arthritis. And the numbers are going to be worse in cities in the West like Seattle and Tacoma, for example, where there's even more rheumatologists. And so we're looking at a situation that's pretty dire and where we need to take steps to improve them. Well, and so what is the, what are those steps? What do you do? So currently one of the biggest problems in the West is that we only have one fellowship program for rheumatologists for the entire Whammy region. So for those people who don't know, there are five states uh, in the West that kind of pool together resources and money, Wyoming, Washington, Alaska, Montana, and Idaho. And the goal is that they're supposed to be pooling together money to train enough medical students and residents um, to be able to provide for the future, to be able to provide for all the population of these five states. Historically, the University of Washington has really been responsible for training enough of these um, physicians um, to be able to go off and uh, care for patients either in primary care or specialty care. But more recently, the Washington State University, WSU, and in Yakima, there have been new medical schools and programs that are geared towards training more. Currently in rheumatology, we only have one fellowship at the University of Washington that's training about two to three rheumatology fellows every year. Mm. And historically, they've been very focused on research. And so their fellows get a lot of training to do research and go off either into basic science research in academic institutions or in pharmaceutical uh, industries or maybe in um, more of the business sector. What we need to do is have a new conversation about what types of doctors we actually want to train. And in the West, especially in Washington State, we don't have the luxury to produce more researchers. We really need to produce doctors who are seeing patients because we can't have our patients waiting a year or longer to be seen. So then given that, uh, it's easy for, obviously, we can sit here and say there needs to be more rheumatologists. But what are some concrete steps you would advocate? Do we, you know, does the society now start putting out petitions and we get our members to start, you know, contacting their contacts at UW Medicine, at uh, the University of Washington Medical School, at, at other places, and, and start a, a sort of public awareness uh, groundswell, if you will, so that even if you're a, a GP, you're constantly, if you get a chance to meet with whoever it might be, a a colleague that you're telling, look, we need more rheumatologists. You need to increase the fellowships. We need more opportunities. And then do you go to grad student, uh, to med students and say, here's why you need to be in rheumatology. What, practically speaking, does that look like? So um, all of these are avenues that we need to approach. The reality is if if we're really looking at a situation in 10 years where we're just one rheumatologist to 200,000 patients, that's not really manageable. And so what we really need to think about is thinking about the long-term and the short-term. So obviously, like you said, the long-term does involve getting more fellowship programs off the ground and actually supporting the WSU program in Spokane, supporting Yakima, trying to build up new fellowships over time um, where we don't have it. Then the shorter term, we need to be a little bit innovative. We need to think about how do we attract rheumatologists who don't live in the West to Mm. the West area. So, for example, one way is that we consider our entire region, like the West, an underserved area, and that we provide um, loan forgiveness programs either at the state level or really petition our senators and our congresspeople to think about it um, when they're thinking about national policy, for example, through the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid. 
so that we think about our West as an underserved area so that doctors and young graduates who, are, who have huge loans get forgived if they are willing to live in areas in the West. And so if they're willing to practice in Leavenworth or Spokane or Walla Walla, for example, and you know put up a shingle um, in these areas that we know are incredibly underserved, they should get some loans that are forgiven. Other things that we can do are, are really kind of um, think about how we go, as you mentioned, towards medical students and college students. We need to get people excited about some of these fields that are underserved. I always say that rheumatology is the most amazing field in medicine because we're really taking care of patients um, who are mysteries, who've seen many other doctors before them and really just want an answer as to what they have or they don't have. And that's kind of exciting. Um, the challenges are also thinking about how we reinvigorate young people. And one final thing is we need to think about why people are retiring and also think about if there are things that are making rheumatologists unhappy, for example, very complicated prior authorization schemes that are costing them hours and hours every day, or reimbursement that means that despite the fact that they're really um, a huge shortage of rheumatologists, they don't feel like their salaries are really going up or being supported. We really need to think about what we can do to keep rheumatologists in this state. Well, how does that compare? Because I hear from whether it's the president of our society uh, who, you know, she could she talks about prior authorization and all the challenges for her just as a primary care physician. Is this are there unique challenges just to rheumatology versus prior authorization for any specialist? Absolutely. So in rheumatology, a lot of our lives, especially if you're a private practice rheumatologist who doesn't have the benefit of a larger system. Um, a lot of our lives can really revolve around prior authorizations. Mm. So if you think about it, rheumatoid arthritis is the most expensive diagnosis in America. And the biggest blockbuster drugs in America, like Enbrel and Humira, that are making billions of dollars every year for companies like AbbVie or Pfizer, um, are rheumatology drugs. So there's a reason why you see these like million dollar ad campaigns in magazines and on television for Zelgens or Simsia um, or Symphony or Remicade, these are names that kind of fly off the tongue of many people just from watching you know, football on TV. Sure. Um, it's because these drugs are so expensive. And because they're so expensive, there have been a lot of limitations um, in how patients can get them. And more importantly, a lot of barriers and challenges, I would argue a lot of them that aren't appropriate, that kind of lead to these prior authorization pathways that make life really frustrating for rheumatologists. Some states are a little bit worse than others. And in Washington state, we've really found that um, a lot, uh, despite a lot of discussion about what could be done with prior authorizations and make the lives easier for a lot of physicians, including rheumatologists, there hasn't been a lot of concrete action at the legislative level. Well, the good news is we are now starting to become much more activist. Obviously, we rely a lot on our relationship with the WSMA, but if we need to, here in King County with the Medical Society, start start beating drums as well, that is what we're doing. That's that's partially the point of this podcast. It's why, why we exist here. Why isn't rheumatology more appealing to uh, med students? Or is it, you mentioned, obviously, compensation. If I can make you know, X amount, pay off my loan center, have a great living, is it, does it pay less? Is it more challenging to do? What's the, the obstacle there? Yeah, so I think it's a couple of things. So rheumatology is considered to be what's considered to be a, a thinking specialty. So in the sense that we don't necessarily do a lot of, um, our current payment system is really based on fee for service, and you make more money when you're able to do more procedures. Right. So if you're a surgeon or you're an ophthalmologist, you're a dermatologist, you're an OB-GYN, you're doing a lot more procedures and you'll make money for that. 
For us, really, um, we see a lot of patients in clinic. We see a few consults, um, but most of our time is spent in clinic, and we spend a lot of time talking. And so we're, we're given a little bit of more money compared to the average primary care doctor in Washington State. But realistically, the, the salaries um, for a lot of uh, what I would consider to be clinical specialties don't actually match the, de- the need or the demand for that specialty. So I think we also need to do a little bit more of a course correction, um, and our healthcare systems really need to be involved too. So I think that, you know, as you mentioned, um, the 2015 ACR survey says that we're worse than a lot of states in the South, including you mentioned Alabama. Um, and I think you don't necessarily become worse than a state in the South unless you've been trying to do that. And I would say for a long time, our healthcare systems have really focused on doing more and more surgeries and more and more procedures, but haven't really thought about the fact that our population is booming, especially in Seattle, where we see a new skyscraper coming up mm-hmm. every minute. And we really need to think about how we attract more subspecialists and how do we keep them here and retain them. So I think salary and compensation is definitely part of the problem, too. But obviously, we can only dictate so much uh, the 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 income part of it. But I think your loan forgiveness idea. I mean, if you can help somebody, a young physician, save a hundred thousand or pay off a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, that is a hundred thousand dollar bonus. If there's some incentive, get them here for a couple of years. And we know that the quality of life in many places in the West is such that once you come from a place like, let's say, Chicago where you grew up. I, that's why I throw that in. But once you do that, 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 then they will stay. Once the shingle is hung, I, I know I was just reading in the Seattle Times, for example, Wenatchee, Cleelum, these places east of the mountains are seeing more and more of an influx of people from western Washington. So we know there's a high quality of life if you can just get people out here in the first place. Well, that's really true. Yeah, I would say that, you know, most of our healthcare systems in Washington state are really geared around Seattle. And so that means that if you're a young doctor and you're coming in with a lot of debt, you're really forced to try to buy a house and live somewhere in Seattle. And we've seen the housing prices and the rental prices, um, there might be a temporary lull right now, but have continued to climb aggressively upwards. And so it's really hard as a young physician in any subspecialty to try to move here um, and deal with the debt issues and then also want to keep your shingle here. I would say also that for many physicians, and there have actually been studies that have looked at this, um, based on your education level and the education level of your spouse, you're much less likely to live in a rural area. So even though it's, um, and that's for various issues, quality of life, liking to be a certain distance of the opera, wanting to be in a certain school system, restaurants. And so I don't think we're really, you know, I think that ultimately we can create more training programs in places like Spokane and Yakima but there's always gonna be issues with retention of doctors in those areas. I think what we really need to do is thinking about also being innovative, like thinking about things like telemedicine. So how can we, um, for example, allow a patient with a rheumatological condition to be interviewed on a computer. Now, a doctor or a rheumatologist might not be able to exactly examine their joints, but if there's a way to easily bill for that, set that up so that I can be in Seattle and see a patient in Alaska or Wyoming so that they don't need to drive 12 hours from Missoula, Montana, for example, to see me or take a complicated series of flights from Seward, Alaska down to Seattle, that's a win for the healthcare system and a win for the doctor and definitely a win for the patient as well. Which is, which is the most important. Let me ask you about this because I'm working, doing a lot of work with UW Medicine on care transformation, telemedicine, for example, a lot more clinics, things like that are a major part of the foundation. But if you are somebody, you mentioned Seward, Alaska. If I am in a certain healthcare plan up there, but the only rheumatologist that's available is in Virginia Mason's plan, 
are there a bunch of barriers that we could start to remove if the providers would say, you know what, it's okay, it's out of network, but we're going to cover this 100%? Yeah, so um, we see a lot of patients coming in from Alaska because it's much easier to actually fly from Juneau or uh, Ketchikan or Sitka to Seattle than Anchorage. Having hmm. recently flown to Anchorage, I realized just how far it was from Seattle for a lot of our patients. And so currently, for a lot of our patients who we're seeing, they need to get letters to their insurance uh, multiple times a year um, and also coordinate um, hotel costs. They only get certain times and dates. And then if you're a patient with a, rheumato with a rheumatological issue like rheumatoid arthritis, but you also have Crohn's disease and need to see a GI doctor mm, in Seattle, you're looking at multiple trips down here. So I think this is where I mentioned earlier that healthcare systems need to be more flexible and innovative. So where we can um, see patients in Alaska and ultimately bill for them because we're a, health, we're a business ultimately in healthcare and we sure. need to be able to pay for our lights and our um, for our physicians and our staff time. Where we can do that, that would be wonderful. Where we can send a doctor up to Alaska, for example, there are doctors from Virginia Mason and UW who go up to Juneau and Anchorage and other cities um, for periods of time, like a couple of times a year, and see patients over there and then fly back um, and see their patients in Seattle, that would be awesome too. So we need to be a little bit innovative with how we think about seeing patients. And I think where possible, we really need to talk to our insurance companies and remove barriers. So writing as a rheumatologist, having to write multiple letters for my patients in Alaska just to fly down here um, to see me when it's the same letter, mm. you know, month after month, is not particularly helpful. It's not a good use of my time where I could be seeing more patients and fitting them in so that patients don't have a long wait times to see me. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's always fascinating to me when there's something that seems on the surface to be so commonsensical. We, we ne clearly need to alleviate this, and yet then the systemology of all of these disparate parts make it so difficult. What do you want your colleagues to know? You know there are thousands of members that are, are your fellow physicians in the King County Medical Society. Are there things you'd like them to do? Is it writing letters? Is it just talking to people, merely paying attention? Yeah, so I'd say there are two things that I want them to do. One is, especially for our primary care doctor colleagues, but other physicians as well, I want them to recognize that there is a huge shortage of rheumatologists in Washington State. So often, myself or other rheumatologists, it will take time to come and see us as a patient. And so that means that they need to be even more thoughtful when they're making a referral. So if it's a patient with more of a chronic pain or fibromyalgia type condition, that patient might need to wait or might not be best suited to going to see a rheumatologist. If it's a patient with life-threatening vasculitis or rheumatoid arthritis, we want to see those patients. We really want to get them in. We don't want them to be in severe pain when we can control those things with medications like as I mentioned, rituximab mm -hmm. or adalimumab yeah, right, and stuff right. like that, or a tanercept, we don't want those patients to wait. So if the second point kind of goes with that. So if there's a patient that's more sick, give us a call. Let us know. We want those patients to be seen sooner. We want to fill, fit them in a little bit earlier. We want to be able to help with that. Um, and then I would add a third thing, which is certainly advocacy helps. So wherever possible, having them talk to their executives at their hospital, having them help us with legislation Olympia, having them get involved with the King County Medical Society um, to be able to talk about these issues and talk about, you know, wow, my patient faced, you know, a six-month delay to get seen by a rheumatologist. That's a really long time. We need to hire more rheumatologists. We should be really doing more to keep our rheumatologists. Why have we had such a turnover of rheumatologists? These are all questions that help us too, um, both in the Washington Rheumatology Alliance and the King County Medical Society. We need people's voices to be heard about shortages that are being faced and really long delays that patients are facing as well. 
Well, and I would argue that one of the reasons why I was brought in here after all my years in, in media and public relations here in town uh, communications is that we have a very powerful group if we, if we band together. If we take these 2,500-plus um, voices, hopefully more, we have 12,000-plus doctors in King County alone, and start to beat our drum a little more and, and start to, to take a unified strategic role. And that's the point of, I would just say, to, of this podcast, of all of that we're going to be doing. And I'm so thrilled that you have been the first to really avail yourself of that opportunity and taking a leadership role. And I hope that our your colleagues will see the opportunity and, and take that on and They'll back, you know, back your efforts at the same time you, I know, have been working lead poisoning, not your specialty, but we're going to be doing work with the Seattle King County Public um, Health Department. And and th this is just the very start of us hopefully mo truly moving the ball down the field. Yeah, I think that there's, you know, having come from other states and cities where there's very active physicians, um, whether it's Boston or Chicago or the San Francisco Bay Area, I've been really impressed with Seattle too. Like we have a lot of vocal doctors here who are very passionate about the issues. What we really wanna do is kind of bring them together because I think that's the most important thing. And so where possible, I think that, you know, for a long time, I didn't necessarily understand in my own practice how important it was to be part of a professional medical society like the King County Medical Society, which is really focused on taking each individual's doctor's voice and amplifying it and making it stronger. And as I see more and more patients who are coming in from incredibly long distances who are really suffering and, um, you know, ultimately many who actually have lots of complications along the way that could have been averted, it makes me feel even more passionately about staying involved in my medical society and talking to other people so that my voice can be amplified and so I can do more for my patients. Any other things we didn't talk about? Any last thoughts regarding your practice and uh, especially this shortage of rheumatologists? Yeah, I would just say that it's clearly not just rheumatology where there's a shortage in Washington State. There are many fields, for example, vascular surgery or uh, ear, nose, throat, otolaryngology, where there's very long wait times for many patients. And I think there's definitely scope for doctors and specialties as well as primary care to group together mm. and to talk about what we can do at more of a systemic level or a policy level. Um, this is something that I hope that people listening to this podcast will reach out to us and talk with King County Medical Society, and I'm happy to be available as well, so that we can kind of work together because I don't think there's going to be one solution just for rheumatology shortages in the state. I think, you know, there's, there's um, especially with the U.S. and Seattle's uh, population growth that's immense, um, this is something where we all need to work together. Right on. Dr. Amish Dave, thanks so much for, for reaching out and taking an interest in this. And lastly, I just want to encourage our fellow members, if you have a topic, uh, if you have an area that you think is worthy of discussion, please get in touch with me. Uh, you can find uh, my contact information on our website. And I'm just J um, Jay Kearns, K-E-R-N-S, at kcmsociety.org. Give us a call. Love to have you. The more people I can talk to, the more of these I can publish, the more we can then leverage that to get media coverage, get more awareness, to take this to lawmakers. So you are my guinea pig. You, <laughs> all right. We'll do it again soon, Doc. And for all of you listening, thanks so much for uh, tuning in. And we'll do it again soon. Um, and again, I welcome your feedback. Take care. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.